and then we'll flip over a page to Acts chapter 1, Luke chapter 24. I told you that this is still Pentecost Sunday, all right? So I want to talk to you just for a few minutes tonight about the Pente- about God's standard, the Pentecostal church being God's standard. Or God's standard for the church is that it be a Pentecostal church. Again, we're not talking about denominations. We're not talking about Methodists and Baptists and Catholic and Presbyterian and, and Pentecostals. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, but we're talking about an experience with the Lord and the fullness of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so I want to read to you tonight from Luke chapter 24, verse um, 49, all right? Luke 24. These, this is the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said this, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until... Everybody say, until. Until. until you are endued with power from on high. Then in Acts chapter 1 verse 4, and being assembled together with them. Now this is Luke writing both of these books. Acts are uh, Luke, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. So he's writing here again in the book of Acts and he's giving the same, he's telling the same thing again. The what Jesus said to these before he ascended. And uh, being assembled together with them, notice this. He commanded them. He didn't suggest this to them. He didn't say to them, well, you know, whatever you think, guys, if you have time, you know, you might want to go hang out at Jerusalem for a little while if you have time. That's not what it said. It said that, that he commanded them, so it was an imperative. What Jesus was telling them here was imperative. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Verse 5, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Father, add the blessing of the Lord to this word tonight. Help me, give me the thoughts, give me the words to say that you know that your people need tonight. And Lord, my prayer for Abundant Life Family Church is that we will be the, the, the church that you want us to be, that we will be a New Testament book of Acts, Spirit-filled, Holy Ghost-anointed church right here in Farmington, Missouri and in St. Francis County. And we ask you to pour your Spirit out upon your people in such a great and mighty way and fill us to overflowing. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right? Now, I don't want to be controversial tonight. So again, I don't want you to think that I'm saying that I don't want you to get the, even get the remote idea that I'm saying that Pentecostals 
are that Pentecostal people or Pentecostal churches are the only people that are saved or the only ones that are going to heaven. There, there is a group of Pentecostals that do believe that, that they're the only ones that are saved and that you have to speak in tongues to go to heaven. We don't believe that, all right? We, we believe, I believe there are saved people in every church and in every denomination. And I believe this, there are lost people in every church and every denomination, including the full gospel Pentecostal churches, all right? But so, so I want to clarify that, that I'm not saying that, that, that people outside of full gospel Pentecostal churches are not saved because there are saved people in every, in every church. There are born-again people. I believe that. Um, but the early church that Jesus established, the one that we read about in the book of Acts and the epistles, that first century church was born in the mighty power of Pentecost. The same power of Pentecost that birthed that New Testament church in the book of Acts is the same power that we're supposed to have in the church today. And that power is to be the norm for all believers and for all churches today. The Pentecostal power, the pit power of Pentecost. Now the words of Jesus and the, that, that we read here that were spoken to these disciples just before He ascended to the Father are very, very significant. Now I do believe that the last words that anyone speaks are very important words. So especially the last words of Jesus would be important that He gave to them the commission, what He told them right before He ascended to heaven and went back to the Father. And so these words of the Lord are very significant. And notice what these words are that He spoke. The words, He used the words tarry and wait. In other words, He was saying stay until, go to Jerusalem and stay put. Isn't that what he was saying? Stay there until. Don't stay there for just a few hours or maybe a day, but you stay there until you receive power from on high. Now, the words that he spoke here, tarry and wait and stay until you receive this power, these words were spoken to well-trained disciples. They were spoken to, to those who were there. They were well-trained disciples, and they included the apostles. These individuals that had been with the Lord for the period of over three years and uh, had walked with the Lord personally, they had been taught personally by the Lord for the past three years, uh, the, the, the apostles that were there, those 11 that were there, and they had undergone uh, some excellent on-the-job training. I don't know of how uh, much better on-the-job training for ministry that you could possibly get than to be um, mentored by the Lord Jesus Christ for three and a half years. I think that would be awesome. I think back on my life and I, I often think, you know, man, I wished I would have had a little more mentoring and a little more training and a little more teaching, um, you know, in, in areas of ministry. But these folks, these apostles had on-the-job training with Jesus. He had oversight on them and had, had, uh, had, had sent them out to minister during this three and a half years under His tutelage and under, you know, with His oversight. 
And uh, these individuals had watched Jesus as a role model of, of a perfect Holy Ghost anointed ministry. Jesus operated under the power, in the power, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that before, how that Jesus was and is the Son of God. God manifests in the flesh, but He came, He came and He became a man, and He lived and walked and ministered in His earthly ministry as a man filled with the Holy Spirit and anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, and He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So they watched Jesus for three and a half years. They saw Him as their role model of a perfect ministry anointed by the Holy Spirit. This was uh, the ministry of Jesus was what He wanted their ministry to be and what He wanted the ministry of His church to be. And I, you know, listen, there's no modern seminary, no modern Bible college that could ever provide the level of training and preparation for ministry that these original apostles received directly from the Lord Jesus Christ in their three and a half year ministry. You couldn't have gone to a better Bible Bible school, amen. You, you remember in the book of Acts where Peter, you know, uh, they, that, that, where the Sanhedrin and them, they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they said, they, they, they took knowledge of them that they, and they said they were unwarned and ignorant men, but they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Amen. They hadn't been to Bible college. They hadn't been to Bible school, but I tell you what, for three and a half years, they had been with Jesus and he had taught them and he had trained them what they needed to know. They received it directly from the Lord. So you couldn't have gotten any better teaching or training, but yet despite all of that outstanding training from the Lord, Jesus still told them, Jesus still said to them, you're not yet ready to minister the way that I minister. So he said, I charge you, I command you that you go and you go to Jerusalem and you tarry there and you wait there. Don't you start your ministries. Don't preach one message. Don't teach anybody anything. Don't do anything until you've gone to that upper room and stayed there until you are filled with the Holy Ghost and receive power from on high. All the teaching that they had received, Jesus said, there's still one thing that you are lacking and the thing that you are lacking is the power from on high, the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen? You'll need that power. And that's what Jesus was saying to them. You're going to need that power to do what I've called you and commissioned you to do. And he told them, you know, they tried to change the subject. And they said, well, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel right now? And he, he, he said, listen, he said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Lord has in his own power, but you, and then he brings it right back in verse number 8 of Acts 1, but you shall receive power. What he was saying is don't worry about when the literal kingdom's going to be set up right now, but you go back to Jerusalem for you shall receive power 
after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me in, Jeru in Judea, Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and into all the uttermost parts of the earth. That commission is still for us today, for the church today. You will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, when you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you can be saved, have your name written in the Lamb's book of life and rapture ready and on your way to heaven. But if you want to have the power to do the ministry, if the church is going to have the, the power to do the ministry that God has called us to do, if Abundant Life Family Church is going to fulfill what God has called us to do, we have got to be a Holy Spirit-filled, baptized, and empowered church. Amen. See, the church that Jesus himself established here in the book of Acts, that first century church was a Pentecostal church. Amen. I mean, it was. In Acts 2, 1 through 4, it described that first New Testament day of Pentecost. You know what happened. We know what happened. I love to preach about what happened on the day of Pentecost when they were there. They had been there in, that, in the temple for 10 days in a prayer meeting, as I said this morning. They were continually praising and blessing God. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, there suddenly there came a sound from heaven. They were all, listen, they were all in one place. They were in one mind. They were in one accord. They were all focused on the very same thing. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. And it filled that house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them, the Bible said, cloven, divided tongues, like as a fire, and set on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. See, Jesus had promised power from on high. Jesus had promised them in Acts 1 and 5 that just as John had baptized in, with water, they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit in just a few short days. Hallelujah. And so they went back on that command of Jesus, on that promise of Jesus, and that promise was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when they were all filled with the Spirit. They all spoke with tongues. All 120 of them spoke with tongues as the evidence of that reception of the Pentecostal baptism with the Holy Spirit. Praise God. They received the power from on high that Jesus had told them about. See, then, after that, though, then they, that first church, a Pentecostal church, birthed on the day of Pentecost, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. They then went forth and they gave a powerful witness everywhere they went. They gave a powerful witness to the Lord Jesus Christ with anointed preaching and also with the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 2 and verse 4. He said, when I came to you, I just didn't come to you with enticing words, 
of, of man's wisdom, but I came in the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. So we must have that same power of the Holy Spirit today, which is available to the church. Now, listen, the early church, that first century church, their ministry was a ministry of the manifested power of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that, that, that filled them with the power of God. And so they went forth in the operation of that, of that power of the Holy Spirit. Um, in response to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and to the response of Peter's first Pentecostal sermon, anointed by the Holy Spirit. He got up and preached powerfully, didn't he, on the day of Pentecost. And you know the result of that, when he, when he preached under that anointing of the Holy Spirit, he just received that fresh power. Now, now listen to me. Here was Peter just a few days before. He, he, would, he wouldn't even acknowledge to a little maiden, a little girl, that he was a disciple of the Lord. Three times he, they said, well, you're you with him wasn't you? You're one of his disciples. Oh, not me. I don't know the man. Three, isn't that right? He was so scared. Three times he denied the Lord Jesus and of course he repented of doing that and the Lord took him back. But now notice the difference in Peter's life. He's, he's, he's standing up. Pray, he's just been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Listen, just after the crucifixion of Christ, remember they were hiding behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. But oh, look what happened now after a 10-day prayer meeting. And they've all been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter stands up there and he says, they, you know, they was mocking them and they were making fun of them. And they said, oh, these people are drunk on new wine. And Peter said, let me tell you. He stands up. here. Oh, Peter, he's not afraid anymore. Amen. He's got some new power in his life. And he stands up and he says, these are not drunk as you suppose, seeing that it's just the third hour of the day, but this is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And in the last day, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men will dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens in those days I will pour out of my spirit. Hallelujah. Woo. And he preaches a powerful message to those people there. And you know the result of that powerful message was what? 3,000 souls were born into the kingdom of God. 3,000 people were saved. I mean, before Pentecost, they couldn't even convince one another that, you know, they couldn't convince each other that Jesus was alive. And now here after, oh my, I'm about to feel something. Now after Pentecost, and they've received the power of Pentecost, now he's able to preach and convince 3,000 people that Jesus died and was resurrected and is alive today. Hallelujah. 3,000 souls are born into the kingdom of God. Amen. They continued in the power of Pentecost with, with many miraculous signs and wonders. It was, it was powerful preaching, but it was more than that. Their words had power, but it was more than that. It was a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. 
signs, miracles, and wonders followed them. In Acts 2 and 43, it said that then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. The church continued to grow dramatically. In verse 47 of that second chapter of Acts, it says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Did you hear what that said? It said that the Lord, who added to the church... Amen. Did they, have a, did they have to go to a church growth seminar to find out how to build their church? Did they, have to go, did they have to go to one of those church growth meetings to figure out what kind of, of, uh, of, of marketing strategies they could incorporate in the church to build their church? No, not, not on your life. It was the Lord. It said, and the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved. Can I say this to you, Abundant Life? tonight that we need to go out in the power of the Spirit and share Jesus with others and be witnesses in, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. We need to go out and tell the, the people in this area about Abundant Life Church and to tell them about Jesus and that Jesus is here and that Jesus still saves and that Jesus still heals and that Jesus is coming back again. Amen. Hallelujah. We need to let that message be made known in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, you know what's going to happen? The Lord, come on somebody, the Lord will add to the church those who He desires to be saved. Woo, hallelujah. See, that's the church growth program. Now, Peter preached again the second message, and I preached a little bit about that this morning. That's from, from Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4, that second message that Peter preached after the healing of the lame man. What was the result of that powerful message? What was the result of that powerful message? There were 5,000, five, and, and you know what? I've noticed this the other day, and I've, I've noticed it before, but I forgot it. We always say there were 5,000 saved, but it says, it says there were 5,000 men that were saved. Well, if, glory to God, I'm telling you, if, 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 if those men all had wives and had a kid or two, come on, I'm telling you, that church, that first century church is growing exponentially. Can you see this? Can you see this? Why is this all happening? What has made the difference? What has made the change? I'll tell you what made the change. Those 120 disciples went to an upper room and they obeyed the command of the Lord Jesus and they stayed there until the Lord filled them with the power that they needed to do the work that he called them to do. And I think that's one of our problems today in the modern day church is simply the fact that we're in too big a hurry to hang around and to tarry or to wait. You know, here we were just, I tell you, the Holy Spirit was just, was just so rich here just a few minutes ago. And you know, we, 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 we need to learn when the Holy Spirit's like that. Nobody really has to say anything. No, not, nobody really has to be doing anything. We just need to be waiting on the Lord and letting Him fill us afresh and anew with His presence and with His power. We need the power of God. The church today needs the power of God. And I really believe that the reason that we have, the church has gone to the marketing tactics and strategies and different things to try to build the church and to grow the church is simply because we have lost 
the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord Jesus. We've lost the power of the Holy Spirit. But that church continued to grow, that first century church. It continued to grow. And signs and wonders continued to be manifested. There's something that we're missing today. But in Acts chapter 5, um, it, it records what was happening there. In Acts chapter 5, it says this in verse 12, that through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And verse 14, now notice verse 14. And this again is a result of the power of the Holy Spirit and what was, what was at work, the power of Pentecost that was at work in this church. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Do you see that? And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Notice this, multitudes of both men and women. Now, I'm not opposed. This church at Jerusalem, I don't know how many multitudes were added. They were increasingly added. In two sermons, 8,000 were saved, plus families, and plus now they're in... So, so thousands were brought into the kingdom of God and were a part of this Jerusalem church. So I guess you could say it was a mega church. And I'm not against mega churches. Uh, I think mega churches are great if they're built right and if the Lord's the one that's building them and if it, they're not being if they're not being built because some preacher is 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 not preaching the full gospel or is trimming back on the message I mean if if the full gospel's not being preached and people are enticed to come in and said, well, you can, you know, and told that they can live any way they want to or do anything they want to and they don't have to, they don't have to, you know, they don't have to stop sinning, they don't have to repent. If that's the kind of message that's being used to, to build a mega church, then that is wrong. Then that is wrong. But when the true gospel of Jesus Christ is preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Well, let the Lord build the church. Let the Lord do it. Let Him use us. Let Him use us to minister the Word and let the Lord build the church. Amen? So they were increasingly, multitudes were added, both of men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude, notice, notice this, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem bringing sick people and those who were torn tormented by unclean spirits and they, notice these words, and they were all healed. They were all healed. What am I trying to say? This was a church that continued to grow as signs and wonders continued to be manifested by the power of the Holy Ghost. It's evident that the, initi that the initial church that Jesus personally established and began there in Jerusalem was thoroughly Pentecostal. They were tongue talkers. They believed in, in signs and wonders and miracles and healings. 
They were thoroughly a Pentecostal church. And that church's members had experienced the baptism with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. They healed the sick. They did mighty signs and wonders. And the dead were even raised. And from that spiritually vibrant Pentecostal church in Jerusalem, there went forth other preachers and ministers to other regions. There were other spirit-filled men like Philip the deacon who, who went to Samaria and his preaching was confirmed there with miraculous signs, with great healings, with exorcisms, with demons being cast out, with miracles being performed. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. The whole region there of Samaria turned to the Lord Jesus Christ because a man full of the Holy Ghost went down there and preached Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. In the power of the Spirit of God. Sick people were healed. Lame people were healed. Demons were cast out. And the Bible said there was great joy in that city. That was a thoroughly Pentecostal church that was established in Samaria. You know how I know? Because Peter and John went back down there a little later when they heard that the Samaritans had received the word of God. Jerusalem, the, the mother church, sent Peter and John down there to preach to them and to tell them about the Holy Spirit. And they held a special service at Samaria and prayed for them and laid hands on them that every one of them would receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And they all did. So another Pentecostal church is established in Samaria. These powerful spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit are still for us today. Now listen to me. Now I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to cut it short, okay? In other words, I'm going to skip some stuff, okay? We do not accept the erroneous teaching of those who say that, the, that those things that took place in the book of Acts were only for the first century church. Amen. That's, that's an error. It's the doctrine of cessationism. And um, they, 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 the cessationists teach and believe that when the last of the apostles died, that all of the power was gone. That they were the ones that possessed the power. That those apostles were the one that possessed, ones that possessed the gifts. And that when John, the last apostle, died, that all of the gifts of the Spirit, the Spirit ceased, all of the miracles ceased, speaking in tongues ceased. There is, listen to me, saints. There, I'm not got time to teach on all of that, but there is not one verse of Scripture in the entirety of the New Testament anywhere that, that declares that, that the Holy Ghost baptism, that the evidence of tongues, that the gifts of the Spirit that are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's not one verse of Scripture anywhere in that Bible that says that that will end or that will cease. Amen? It's to continue on today to just as it did in that in that, in that first century church. But we've bought in, so many of us have bought into that teaching and it's erroneous, it's false. And we've got to understand that these powerful spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit are still for us today. The promise of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost power for ministry, the promised baptism in the Holy Spirit was not just for those in that first century church. Listen, I told you the 
this morning, Peter said it was for you and your children and for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God shall call. Can I tell you tonight that you and I are afar off from that time and place when Peter preached that on the day of Pentecost. We're over 2,000 years removed. Yes, we are afar off, but the promise of Pentecost is still for those who are afar off. The promise is for you and for me tonight. Hallelujah to the Lamb. If you're among those whom God has called out of darkness into this marvelous light, if you are those who, among those whom God has called to serve Him, then the promise of Pentecost is for you. They have come too late. Listen, they've come too late to convince me otherwise because you're looking at one old boy who's already been to the upper room. I've already had my Pentecostal experience. I have already experienced it for myself and I don't have an argument tonight I have an experience come on somebody hallelujah I've been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit praise God I've got to, I've got to close Mark Mark's gospel and Mark's gospel in his account of the great commission he gives in, in Mark chapter 16 and in that account of the great commission we're more familiar with it in um, Matthew's gospel. But here Mark gives the same commission. And Mark says, go, Jesus said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16, 15. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And we'll stop right there. That's the great commission. But Mark didn't stop right there. Now I realize there are those that try to say, that some of, some of the, and they'll, they'll say this, that the, some of the more ancient manuscripts actually stopped at verse 9 in Mark's gospel, that this was just something somebody threw in there. Well, you know, they'll do anything to try to explain away the truth of the gospel. And the, and, but the thing about it is that most all of the manuscripts do contain all of what, what's contained in the, new, in the King James, New King James, and these, uh, the, the literal translations of the Bible. But verse 17, after he talks about the commission to go and preach the gospel to every creature, then verse 17, Jesus says, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they, these ones that he commissioned, these ones that he told to go to the upper room, these ones that he had told these signs will follow you after you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, it said, and they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. See the Lord we, we would all agree that the great commission is for us today just as it was for the first church but many preachers a day today will teach part of Jesus' commission to the church but then they'll tell people that these other vital elements are not for us today such as those signs of healing the sick and casting out demons and speaking in tongues but can I tell you something 
something tonight, saints. Jesus gave a lasting commission to the entire church age, not just to the first century church. He promised to accompany those signs that those accompanying signs would follow all believers. And Jesus gave no hint whatsoever of any intention of ceasing to confirm the Word of God with the signs following. We've got to believe that today and experience that same Pentecostal power. That first church in Jerusalem was Pentecostal to the core. The, the preachers from that church ministered in other places in Pentecostal power and new Pentecostal churches were planted everywhere they went. Praise God. Again, I'm not saying that we're the only ones saved. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, sir. That the church in that first century was a power-packed church. Yes, sir. That's right. That's right. Philip planted the one in Samaria. Peter went and preached at Cornelius' house to the Gentiles, and that resulted in the conversion of those Gentiles to Pentecostal Christianity because they accepted Christ and were all filled with the Holy Spirit there at Cornelius' house. Paul founded many Pentecostal churches. The Corinthian church, we know from what we've taught the last several weeks on Sunday nights uh, on the gifts of the Spirit, the Corinthian church was a Pentecostal church. It's clearly described as a Pentecostal church in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. This is what Paul told them in 1 Corinthians 14, 39. This is what he said to that church. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. That sounds like a Pentecostal church to me. <laughs> Glory to God. Paul ministered the baptism of the Holy Spirit to the believers, those new believers in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. With them receiving the Holy Ghost, they spoke in tongues and prophesied. But Paul also, he referred to the gospel. He referred to the gospel that was there coming to the Thessalonica church, to the Thessalonians. He said, I came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And then he cautioned that church at Thessalonica not to quench the Spirit and not to despise prophecies. Are you with me tonight? That seems to be the very practice of the church today because the modern day church today has quenched and put out the fire of the Holy Spirit and treat the gifts of the Spirit with, com with contempt. I'm telling you today that Paul's command was do not do anything to minimize or to discredit the expression of the Pentecostal power within the church in the day that we're living in. Hallelujah. Quench not the spirit and do not despise prophecies. The bottom line is Pentecostal churches, powerful churches, spirit-baptized churches are God's standard for today. Amen. That's what the Lord is looking for. And the discrediting of the importance of the power of Pentecost for the church today is a departure. I said it's a departure from biblical norms and clearly seen, that are clearly seen in the book of Acts and the epistles. Hallelujah. Now somebody may say, well, I've got family that's not in a Pentecostal church. Well, are they saved? Are they in a church that teaches 
that you have to be born again by the Spirit of God and saved by the blood of Jesus. That's the most important thing. Amen? Praise God. Get them ready for heaven. But the norm is for every church, God's will for every church is to be a Pentecostal church. I've got to close. My time's run out. Paul focused on three factors, and I will close with this. Paul focused on three important factors for the church assembled together, just like we are tonight. And here's what he said in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. He said this, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, that's what we're doing here tonight. You know what? See, I get sidetracked. He didn't say if you decide to come together. He said when you do come together. He's saying you come together as a church. Don't forsake the assembly of ourselves. But he says whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Notice that, first of all, all things that are done in the body of Christ in the church service are to be done to build up and to edify and to strengthen that church. Nothing's to be done to try to tear down, but everything is to build up. And that's the way the Holy Spirit moves. But the three elements and the factors that are to be in every worship service Paul gives in that verse. The first one is the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. He said, when you come together, everyone has a teaching. King James says a doctrine, which means teaching. Um, Then the NIV says everyone has a word of instruction. So what Paul is saying there is, here's the first thing. When you come together as a church, you preach and teach the Word of God. You cannot neglect the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. God's Word, the Bible, is, 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 is got to be central. It must be central to any successful church. There will not be a church. You know, I know sometimes, you know, I, I, sometimes people say, well, you know, maybe you preach a little too long or something. But, you know, there's plenty of churches out here that are giving book reports on Sunday morning. There's plenty of churches out here, you know, that you can go and they, they, they'll get you in and out in an hour and give you a five-minute or 10 or 15, maybe a 15-minute. If the preacher's real long-winded, 15 minutes, he'll have you out of there. But I'm going to tell you, sermonettes build Christianettes. Are you listening to me? It takes the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God, amen, to get into your heart, to build you, to strengthen you, to cause you to grow. It amazes me, it amazes me how people can sit and watch a ball game, a hockey game, a blues game, a cardinal game for three hours, watch a movie for two or three three hours and the preacher preaches 20 minutes and they say I wish he'd hurry up boy he's long winded come on we've got to have a doctrine some doctrine some doctrinal biblical preaching has got to be a part of our church when we come together amen every service but the second factor in that service Paul said has to be this praise and worship he said everyone has what a psalm Everyone has a psalm. What's a psalm? A psalm is a song. It's a song that we sing. The psalms are the song in the prayer book of Israel. Those, they sang those psalms in the, in the book of Psalms. Um, some of the newer mo- modern translations, the NIV, ESV, some of the others, translate it hymn. And they say everyone has a, it says everyone has a hymn. So an edifying church service will include time of worship and singing to the Lord. 
Lord, just like we've done here tonight. They did an awesome job tonight. They led us into the presence of the Lord. Amen. Psalm 100 says, Come, uh, serve the Lord with gladness and come before His presence with singing. Amen. Somebody said, you know, well, why, don't, why do you sing first and preach later? Because it says, serve the Lord with gladness, come before His presence with singing. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and with His courts with praise. Hallelujah. We come together and we sing and we praise and we magnify the Lord and it prepares us. That's how important a praise team and musicians and singers are to the worship service because they prepare the way for you to receive the preaching of the gospel of Jesus. So there's got to be the word preaching. There's got to be singing and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Paul said. But then the third factor and the third element in every church service, he said, is to be also the gifts of the Spirit. And they are exemplified hereby. He said, he said when you come together, together, everyone has a tongue, has an interpretation, has a revelation. That's the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. So this tripod of biblical New Testament, of, of a New Testament church service, this is the biblical pattern. And far too many churches are content to practice the first two. They'll sing and they'll preach. But they've left out the third one, which is the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. We've been completed here in this service tonight because we've had the preaching, we've had the singing, and we've also had the operation of the gifts of the Spirit in this service. We've had uh, a prophecy. We've had this morning, we had tongues and interpretation two different times. And so I would say, biblically speaking, by the biblical pattern, Abundant Life Family Church does qualify as a New Testament Holy Spirit-filled church. Amen. Hallelujah. But we're content. Worship team, make your way back. We're content to practice those first two, worship and word, but leave out the third, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's a departure. It's a departure from the biblical norm, and it deprives God's people of the power and the expression of Pentecost that energized that early church. If Abundant Life Family Church is to follow the biblical pattern, we must have the threefold foundation, the Word, the worship, and the operation of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit in the body of Christ. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. We've got to tarry until. We've got to follow that same admonition that Jesus gave to them. After you tarry, You'll receive power from on high. Then we'll see God do great and mighty things in this community and in the church today. Can you say amen? Let's stand tonight. Let's stand and worship the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. Pentecostal churches and Pentecostal ministry is the standard that God's given. Jesus began the church in the power of Pentecost. Early preachers preached in the power of Pentecost. Peter and Philip and Paul took the power with them everywhere they went. They taught their new converts to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
they made, they made that a precedent. It was important. And Pentecost changed the ancient world, turned the world upside down. And can I tell you, the only hope for this nation and for the world today is another Pentecost. Just as Pentecost, the church that was full of the power of God changed that world. Pentecost can change our world today in the 21st century and usher many souls into the kingdom of God. God, give us another Pentecost. Give us another Pentecost. Give us a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's sing something tonight. Sam